0: Welcome to Series 2 of the GM Moving Podcast, where we share with you how we're enabling people to get moving. I'm Eve, Strategic Director at Greater Sport, leading, supporting and connecting GM Moving, Greater Manchester's movement for movement. Supported by investment from Sport England, Greater Manchester partners have been taking a whole system, place-based approach to embed physical activity into everything for happier, healthier, more connected communities and active lives for all. In each episode, we share stories of what this looks like in action in each of the 10 boroughs of Greater Manchester. I'm back today in Manchester Central Library, speaking to Ross Mcgigan and Stephen Pearson as local leads in Stockport. Stockport is estimated to be home to over 288,000 people. The latest Active Lives results published by Sport England show that 75% of adults in Stockport are now moving for at least 30 minutes a week. But the data and insight shows that activity levels are significantly lower for children and young people, women and girls, people with a disability or long-term health condition, minority ethnic groups and the local older population. Today, we hear about the importance of going beyond community consultation to really listen to local people and communities as part of an ongoing conversation and relationship. So, over to the Stockport Local Pilot Team, I kick things off by asking Ross where being active started for him.
1: I probably I was always kept active younger, so like parents were. Involved in things like you know, joining the local football club and things like that. Um, my gran as well is super like really active. She was 96 when she passed away, but before that, like, that's I think what kept her kind of going. So, like, she was always a walker and an absolute machine is probably the only way I can describe <laughs> it. Um, that's one side of the scale of someone who walks and just takes it recreationally, and then. On my side, taking part in football. I have an older brother, so he always made childhood super competitive. <laughs> so then that's just sort of, you know, was instilled. And do you
0: still compete with your brother?
1: Not as much now. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, playing less football and I still play a bit of football. I play dodgeball, which is quite random and strange, but... Yeah, internationally as well, so I'm quite proud of that. What you play you dodgeball do? internationally. Yeah.
0: I didn't know that. Oh yeah. cool. My kids my kids all love dodgeball, that's probably their favourite number one. Um, okay, <laughs> over to you Stephen. So what yeah, what's what's been your journey, moving journey to this? Oh. Speed?
2: Well for me there's a direct uh, relationship between moving and physical health, but also That sort of mental health and that vitality, you know, I'm 46, so I'm being a bit older now. And I remember when I was younger, I might just do things for the adventure or for the challenge. But um, I've noticed lately being a bit older that how to maintain that vitality, the energy is crucial Mm -hmm. to be the best we can be. And my kids are 11. So moving tends to look like doing things with my kids, um, walking, running, encouraging them in their sports or physical activity. So to be the best that I can be, that moving element relates to that mental well-being for sure.
0: I love that word, vitality. I just think, you know, it makes me think as well of kind of COVID really. And so many people Mm. feel like that's what they're seeking now is to kind of regain vitality that I think lots of us have, have lost for multiple reasons one of which is yeah. many of us haven't moved as much for the last few years well, I
2: remember before COVID I was like oh, I've really got to mentally prepare myself to go to the gym because the gym was the hard place of doing activity but now it's the mental preparation of saying well I want to go and move and be active and choose another way of being active um, rather than replacing it with something else which is come out of lockdown which is like well I can go surfing on the internet or I can watch that program or I can do some doodling or some other mindfulness stuff but you don't get the same benefits and so therefore when you build that back in then you start to experience those endorphins. A minute
0: then I thought you were going to say you've been surfing in Stockport I was like I've missed that activity <laughs> <laughs> but no... <laughs> But yeah, beautiful segue there, there Stephen. So that's sort of designing in, designing for the into everyday life, making it a social norm. I mean, that's that's what both of you are doing, aren't you? You're doing that in Stockport and that is very much kind of part of the approach of taking through the local pilot. So, Ross, can you just talk us through a little bit kind of yeah. um, which organisation you sort of hosted?
1: So I'm in Life Leisure. So, you know, for Life Leisure, we're seen as a leisure operator. So like, I, I think there was already a stigma over me you know, especially for war, kind of any uniform or the lanyards and things like that, that people would associate me with the gym using that setting. I kind of had to take myself away from that a bit more and develop it. I think the relationship's in a bit of a different way. So,
0: you know, what's the focus in Stockport in terms of the local pilot? Any particular audiences? Any particular places?
1: So my particular focus is in bringing locality work. We are kind of across the different target audiences of the 18-year-olds out-of-school setting, 40-60-year-olds, long-term health conditions, and those out of work or at risk of being workless. However, <laughs> you know, we've not, or for me personally, I've not focused kind of too much on those target demographics, because the first step was probably something kind of before that, which was presence in the community, trust building, relationship building, and understanding the the community and who we can work with and who we should work with. I had some experience of working in that locality before, but with this sort of difference in ethos, it was very different. And we were taking ourselves away from being that solution-led sort of organisation that we've probably been guilty of and really kind of delving a bit Deeper into the the people that we should speak to who have that lived experience and who have that understanding of the community before we even talk about physical activity. And again, we probably would have just thought about the surveys, we would have thought about asking people straight into physical activity: do you cycle, do you walk, do you take part in sport and that kind of thing? And that's not the kind of right first steps to to take. And even to this day, you know, kind of two to three years on, we're not always talking about physical activity it's more about like pride and sense of, of community on a sort of short term yeah you know that focus is in that locality and we we want to support people into activity but actually their sort of journeys and pathways is very different from maybe like myself who you know was brought up uh into the physical activity setting joining a sports club probably even at school having that interest even through my brother like i mentioned so we have to sort of take that away and, and sort of break it down a lot further. So that's been what's what's been very kind of interesting to try and tackle.
0: And Stephen, so where are you based and what's been your focus and role as part of the local pilots?
2: So I work for Seashell, which is a specialist non-maintained school, college and residential care provision for children, young people with complex learning disabilities. So we were brought into the local, local pilot to look at children, young people aged 5 to 18 with SEND. Um, you know, there was data that went into that. So in the joint strategic needs analysis, you know, 7,700 children, young people in that cohort with SEND in Stockport and that number's rising. And, you know, with that data, you can look at like Brillington, for example, had the you know, highest amount of population SEND children, young people in that ward. So that's kind of led us to really focus on Brinton together to really try to connect and engage, listen and understand. So what is it like for you living here? What does that feel like? What does that look like? And sometimes when you're having that conversation for the first time or for the third time because they recognise your face and they don't look at you like, who is this guy? I'm trying to have a brew, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, they're sharing a bit of their life with you and, and it's really important that you hear that and you uh, not a fan, but make them feel like that That story is their story. And that when you talk about, so what would you like more of? Mm. How would you like things to be different? Or what's your um, understanding about being active and your choices about being active? It's, it's here and where they aspirationally want to be within that. And that's where you sort of start that connection and conversation. And we were very much about that in our methodology, which wasn't to say... We've got an answer, we've got some money, we've got a Trojan horse, who wants to come on board? Because those principles all talk about doing it to people, which takes away their agency, takes away their link to their place. And for some communities such as Brillington, there's, there's like, well, this is our place, this is where we live, and this is where my family live, and this is where we've been brought up, and we're quite proud of it. But there's other factors as well, which they would say, we feel like we've been dropped here. We feel like nobody cares about us. We feel like there's a disconnect and that we have to fend for ourselves. So that's why we do things for ourselves. And there's a mistrust of of certain services. So when it comes to children, young people with disability um, and talking to their parent carers, It's not only like, so what's it like living in Brunington and being active? It's like, so what's it like having a child with disability and being active in Brunington? And trying to be open, talking about the barriers to some of that, whether that's perceived or internal, stuff that they own, that they need to change from a habit point of view, or stuff that's external. So the policies, the environment, the services, the organisations, you know, that local picture. And then hopefully what we try to do as local pilot officers is to say, okay, so... We've map that out, what one thing can we do to improve or increase that? Who needs to do that? And that's the knitting together. Isn't it? So-
0: you've mentioned a number of things there there's kind of the starting with the conversation about what matters to you and someone's story and listening to their story and yeah. that kind of validation of, of them and their place and the things that matter and then that knitting but it's a lovely image of the two of you now literally knitting <laughs> but it definitely has come up a lot this knitting or weaving is another kind of this northern great to the thing we're all good weavers and um, Is there anything else that you would point to in terms of what is particularly unique or special about the local pilot's philosophy or ethos, I think, as you put it?
2: I think for me, I I love the work of the local pilot because it starts where people are at. And I think that was the first impression I got in the very first meeting at the GMCVO space when Sport England were standing up talking about the local pilot. And there was a number of blank looks on people's faces across the room saying, so what? that doesn't come with a project management thread matrix, a KPI matrix, what, what is this? And I remember speaking to Katya at the end, who we both sort of got background of community development, and we both looked at each other and said, so I can go out there and speak to the community and literally whatever they say they need in, in respect of improving the system, we will work in a roundabout kind of way to make change happen. And we both looked at each other and went, right, we're going to test that. Let's go. <laughs> you know, we were empowered. And it was like, okay, I'm really excited for it. So I thought, well, let's test it. Let's try it. People are saying this is what and how we're doing it. Let's take that to people and create change in the system. You know, that was the sort of like euphoric sort of naive like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you know, later on, you're like, oh, actually, to change a system doesn't go in a straight line. It it takes a number of different conversations. Um, And I think it's investigative. So it doesn't come with a format. So like what Ross was saying, in the community, you you work with people, you work to understand their experiences and their lived experience. But then you're able to sort of like identify uh, system errors, whether it's within commissioning, funding, the ways people work together, or how they engage communities, how they listen, and all of that sort of stuff to target inactive populations. You go in, talk to, engage, find out where those system errors are. What is that change you want to see? Where's the barrier? And then when they name the barrier, you go, well, let's go and have a look at that barrier. Mm. Because it might be that, particularly for people with a disability, that sometimes they face access issues, access in the building. So then... If that's your barrier coming through the front door, let's go and talk to those that person or that organisation that group's front door and say, do you know this is what people are saying? So the local pilot way, you know, that systems leadership, getting people on the table, everyone owns the solution. If it works effectively and you've got a group of cohorts of people who understand the the GM moving, local pilot way of working, all of that learning comes into a conversation Mm. about the barriers, about the issues, about what people want to see to change. And it's only through being daring and doing things different, the way you do cycling, doing those small changes, then you can start to see that happening. We, we've been directed,
1: I think, maybe in the past quite a lot, you know, when, when you sort of focus on like the kind of quantitative side of it as well. And I think the qualitative side is starting to kind of shift the way in which we sort of approach a specific work stream. For example, with cycling, once we kind of sat down as partners around the table to talk about cycling it's not to say like right we're going to we're going to find this funding and do this we're going to go direct to people we put on the cycling events we delivered around seven of them and we had someone a company never mind the bike shops who helped fix the bikes but then they actually educated the people who came along but it was really informal and people just came up to us. Stephen was there a couple of them as well to speak to people and it was very like we went there with our clipboards ready <laughs> to go kind of to go right would you like to get by face if you like to then we want this from you want it was just it was kept very informal just as that first step of stepping stones and very recently resulted in putting another 10 cycling events to use for that very similar purpose and we've got funding to do a repair stand as well you know, that's been a good progressional side of it and, and shows that there needs to be infrastructure change. But from that very point I was saying around like maybe how we've been sort of directed previously with sort of your funding and the quantitative side, this side has really evolved and I think we're continuing to evolve with this work as well.
0: So you've got your bag of, of tricks and tools and I just wanted to go to you, Ross, and to kind of go, okay, so taking, going back to Stephen's kind of euphoric moment, I suppose, of this is all possible, this is what we can do. Applying that in your experience in Brinnington, you know, what have been the moments starting off? What have been the moments of joy? What have been the moments of like, wow, this actually works, this makes a difference? And then, not to surprise you, we will come to what have been the challenges.
1: Probably respect kind of comes to mind because, like, you need to sort of. Again, like I said, there was, there was probably a stigma from a life leisure perspective, gym industry that that side of things that that was sort of a cloud hanging over. And even from the very beginning, going in to have those conversations with people, and just generally like getting on well with people, and and kind of hearing back from them, and letting them, and they're talking about ideas and things like that. That was like the first point where I was like, oh, this is. I'm, thinking this quite differently now you know i'm not just going in with that kind of clipboard and asking them specific questions and going from there when we ran the first forum the kind of ethos behind the forum was just to create like an informal setting for partners and residents so and we put on a bit of lunch which you know i think always is very nice and and helps but it really did kind of for me, create a different setting in a meeting space. I think things that we've been guilty of is kind of the formalities that are not necessarily required. You need to have those conversations. And from that very first forum we did the brainstorming, it was from there where we started to pick out those common themes and ideas. And fast-forwarding, the to Maps... It's quite a large, a large piece of work and kind of what that accelerated to was, especially when it was installed on the side of the walls in the, you know, kind of like central point in Brinnington. It wasn't about that product being produced or anything like that. It was more about the, the space that had kind of changed and brightened up, what people were talking about with the maps. You know, people look at them and we can't always capture that. But actually, I think it's one small piece of a bigger... Jigsaw that has we hope starting to flip that kind of understanding of the work that we're coming in to do. So I think it's just sometimes it's those moments of seeing the you know, what's up in produced, but also just generally when people are actually quite appreciative of like mm-hmm. being in that space and going, Oh, this has been really good but that's that's been certainly something for for me.
0: That there's moments, that bits of feedback that you get as opposed to a guest to get back to the qualitative kind of responses that you get rather than the, the data of just number of bums in seats but how does it make people feel and what do they say
1: that's it it's not it's not always that it has to be down on paper necessarily and, and going back to respect people sort of you know when you see them and you understand what you're doing and they know what you're doing it's um yeah you know the the speaking to you, and you can see that sort of respect is is kind of two way so it's it's great when you, you kind of get that sense of that happening. So well, that's
0: often invisible, isn't it? Often it's yeah. those invisible things to trust to respect. So in in talking about the Billington maps, it'd be good to just hear a little bit more about what was the process that you went through that led to those maps being produced.
1: The first thing we wanted to make sure we do is just that every part of that decision making process is on the community. It might not be in a, a meeting type setting but it will be through sort of multiple different avenues into making that decision. We, we tested that in a way. So we found that we did it through um, a subgroup from the forum um, of residents and some partners who were more keen to be involved. TFGM were a big part of that um, and the Brinnington big local have to absolutely shout out about because um, mm-hmm. a huge partner for us. So the, that, that collation of people in that setting was a starting point. We, attended different events, community events that were going on and just had like sticky note things. We had a big map that was just, you playing A to Z style map and said, what is in Brinnington? What is here? What, do, you know, what? And that's what started to define the fact that we needed three maps and not one. <laughs> so <laughs> we're like, oh, well, this is a bit of a bigger job. Um, they were talking about walking routes. We we're talking about historical things that used to be there. And it might not be as direct as that, but they were saying... Like, oh, there used to be this top shops that were in the centre of Brinnington. Like, everyone, of course, talks about the places that were there already, and the fact that three-quarters of it is surrounded by beautiful sort of green green space. So on that sort of journey, people were feeding into it in lots of different ways. Social media as well, we had people commenting about it. But always going back to community, the design, the content, the even the illustrator choice even the final products that we were like, oh, this is good. And then suddenly, like, we had a few comments that were to change it. But that was exactly what we were after. And even where to place the maps in Brinnington. Mm-hmm. So that was all tracked along the way. And we have, like, an infographic to show that sort of timestamp of, like, everything that happened. Because why would we not do that? Why would we not, not just explain to people, like, what we have done to try and come to the stage of launching the maps and having leaflets and things. We need to tell people how that's actually happened. And that was what was very interesting because it actually is nice. It's nice to reflect back on that and see that journey and kind of go, "Oh, actually, yeah, there was, it, was, it was great that we had this, you know, the community had three choices of illustrators to produce maps. So the, the biggest thing getting to that stage is when the maps were installed was to have like an additional sign, you know, to say like, thank you to the community of Bridgington and show the respect that the people who contributed to it deserve because sometimes it can quite easily slip through the net and you can't you know, people don't always see that sort of journey of things that happen. So I certainly can't and, and wouldn't want to take the credit for the way the maps have been produced. It has been this partnership community sort of approach and hopefully you know we can kind of continue with that ethos great
0: i mean having making that journey the pro- the approach the process visible just feels really important isn't it because people make their own assumptions about how you got there
2: yeah because <laughs> it's invisible the impact actually what it did around moving and walking was not only in the creation of the maps but you sent a map through everybody's um door to five and a half thousand houses yeah with a community way of saying this is our neighbourhood you know that we we love where we live and these are the places of interest and this is the history and these are the walking routes it just helped frame that whole thing for everyone in one place it serves a wider purpose I guess and one of those maps is a
1: walking one and I think it has a selection of routes on it but it's not that that's the strict you know it's just to we hope kind of be a catalyst for more ideas of ways to you know for people to use them and even with like cycling I think someone spoke to me and said about cycling routes I was thinking oh we might end up doing a fourth map like this
0: where does it
2: stop where does it
0: stop <laughs>
2: but it, it's the foundation for taking the community through a process and let's have a look at moving differently for our residents and how we do that and you're doing the same methodology for cycling by following that methodology involving that community very much in the start of those conversations not doing it too but saying well look your voice is credible and one of the voices that comes back to me quite a few times is to say well what we want to know is are you going to be here tomorrow are you going to be here next week do you, do you really care for this voice sort of thing that's been quite insightful and I think now what we're talking about people place localized solutions and is, and we're talking about how we have that conversation conversations take time and that's what local pilots enable us to have the time for that conversation community is best done over a garden fence with a brew mm-hmm. but to that time and that trust and that relationship but now you're there and you've gone through that because you know i remember you did it for about 18 months <laughs> and uh, at some points, we're like, "What's this leading to?" Well, you know, when, when, when we're when we going for those six-month reviews, you know, what have you learned? What have you grown? I was like, "It's growing."
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> but, still growing.
2: Well, you know, i was talked to twenty people this week, but we don't know what the impact is yet. Yeah, it's yeah. That
0: space and time—it's fascinating because yeah. so maps have come up a lot. Um, so in yeah. some of the other podcasts, and I'm thinking where I live and my counsellor in chalton One of the things that came out of COVID was. Um, a number of community members decided to make um, our green Charlton map um, which likewise ended up going through letterboxes and was really, really positive a moment in time. It's just interesting how all the things—it's been quite a common feature—that seems to have come from different places without people knowing of each other doing it. So yeah, it's just—I just love spotting those moments, those patterns where these things seem to, in multiple places, all have come up as a kind of a common, common thread, and where that process in itself, I guess, has engaged lots of those conversation tool, hasn't it? To say, well, what matters to you about your place? Where do you go? What do you like? What would you like to see differently? Yeah. There's something about people's experience, isn't it? Again, a place, paying attention to your local place, making more visible those local assets, that pride in place, and then people's own experiences of of how they get about and and supporting each other to think about you know ways that you can get about that are going to be good for you, good for place, good for planet.
1: What we said from the very start is like as soon as the maps are produced, what what's next? Because like we can't just let let them be left on the back burner and not actually again evolve them and. Within phase two, we've just got a small group who are leading on a social media presence of the maps. But the idea is that we've revolved it around some of the kind of wider events, if they're regional or national, so like GM Walking Festival is one, and we're saying news maps you know, for walking and a lot more elaborate than that. But one of the things that we're promoting in terms of using the maps is to ask people are there events that you would like to hold in ways that you can use the maps and events could be not like a one-off thing it could be something weekly it could be um, something for a local school it could be a walking group you know even like we want to just instigate like a photography competition and the idea of that is yes it's not this sort of direct physical activity that we're kind of hoping to get to but it's just part of that Pathway that will lead to active lives. The list goes on, and that's what we're looking to try and like instigate. That's what we feel is quite strongly about is this next step with it and the presence of the maps and how people can use them. And it will connect to all these other work streams as well. And that's something to not forget. So we'll have this annual calendar, and we'll just keep running that every year because it it doesn't take too much to kind of continue that. You know, the, the map sort of presence. Obviously, with this work, there's a lot of people who, you know, the sort of disengaged we want to engage with, and actually, we hope that the map can be a tool that will sort of just be that little spark.
0: So on that journey to changing the world, (laughs) is, is there any one thing that, I guess, however small, really, that you could point to where you feel like you've seen some level of change or influence that's come through this work that's helping to chip away maybe at some of those, whether it's the processes or the governance or the culture or the social norms, you know, some of those multiple barriers.
2: One thing is we do in Stockport, we share some of that learning quite a lot in our local pilot steering group or our local pilot ops group. And then we sort of bring that to the GM wide level or the the commitment to inclusion group, which involves GM active as well, to try and talk about, well, what's the one thing that we could do to make that incremental step Mm. moving forward? So, you know, we've done some workforce development training programs with a few agencies around PAs. We've done some stuff with TAs and schools. We've done some pilot training with coaches and swim teachers. And now we're starting to work with organizations to look at that whole embedding of inclusivity right across the offer. Um, but because you hold that conversation, you don't let it go. You know, you have to do it in a way of seeking and that exploration and understanding. You know, one really good thing that Life Leisure did was to say, well, we want to pilot a family send swim session at our peak time on a Wednesday. Let's get families in, let them tell us what, what it's like, their experiences, and let's develop a session for them. And from that, evolve some supported swim lessons, which are smaller in size to meet their needs. So that whole organisation said, We'll try something, we will test something. So parents came in, enjoyed their experience, Coming second time, third time, gave some feedback. There were some issues in the swimming pool about not having a change in places facilities and no hoisting, no change in beds for people with mobility needs, so that immediately cut them out of access and provision. But that's turned around now to an application for funding that's been awarded, so that a changing places will be built there now. And there's that sort of level of conversation and discussion about. Well, somebody who came to that centre lived 500 metres away with a child with disability, but had never actually been in there in their whole mm-hmm. life, but through that session they've now got in there. Mm-hmm. And so from that one access point, people might start to build a relationship with that centre mm-hmm. for more reasons for being active than maybe just swimming on a Wednesday. So that's sort of testament of having those key people in those conversations saying, so there are these inactive populations, these are their barriers... What one thing can we do and what can we learn from? And now we're moving forward with life and looking at some mystery shopping experiences um, and some, you know, workforce sort of development in terms of like across the annual year yeah. for all staff, not just the individual staff. So then you can take that one example and then look at other organisations and say, well, I have that value. You know, we don't know how, but could we replicate that here sort of thing? So I think, you know, you just got to kind of not lose the voice of what parents are saying, but try to build that conversation with the sector to to do that one thing and to, to change how they're doing it from a value. And that's where the local pilot investment is in that conversation.
0: Hmm. And it sounds, I mean, there's a number of things you pointed to there about that have come out of that conversation and the partnership working between your two you two people and two organisations mm-hmm. and many other mm-hmm. partners in place. So, you know, there was sort of the shift to the physical environment within the facilities that's coming. The shift to thinking about the workforce and how the workforce can be more inclusive, that kind of social network of normalising it, people having people that they come into and they form a relationship with the place, with the way to the place and all the rest of it, and then their own individual, I suppose, sort of having been listened to, understand their own motivations and then understand how physical activity will support them in the things that matter to them. It's so a question for me, I guess, to think about the kind of the policy piece in all of that and how that the experience is often for um, children and young people and their carers, and um, that lack of, of value and priority being given to physical activity often means that education, healthcare plans, um, personal, independent plan, you know, budgets, all the rest of it don't put much priority on enabling people to be active as part of a normal part of just living well. Um, I guess I just wondered if you've, as part of building that advocacy and that knowledge so everyone sees it as their business, is there anything else that you're seeing or is on the cards to really help just embed that as, as a priority for everybody?
2: Yeah, you, you, I mean, you pick up on something there around the education healthcare plan and reframing how we look at health and social care and the purpose of activity and wellbeing, And seeing a child at the centre, having that mental capacity and choice to choose how they want to be active, who they want to be active with, and where they want to be active. And that's why we did the training with personal assistants and family members, because whoever's around a disabled person or person with disability, you know, they can activate the activity, whether that's small, motor, gross movements in a space, in a place, in the bedroom, in a park, or whether it's going to an activity centre and negotiating that space. There was a pilot project that Get Active Disability Rights UK did around health and social care, where they invested in training social workers and to promote and talk about the benefits of physical activity. Because when you're forming an education healthcare plan, you're pretty much going to have a formalised body of people helping you to draw up what is a legal document. And um, not only did they train the social workers to be an advocate for physical activity, but they had somebody as a coordinator who could look at the local offer and say, well, it's not just being active and the benefits of being active, but why don't we budget a visit to this Salem park here? Or, well, let's do that. Or did you know that this place is inclusive? So then they were looking at practical ways of where people could be physically active. Because, you know, for some people... Having hydrotherapy, the movement of the joints is, is a really important part of the health and well-being. Cycling can give you a similar physiological benefit as, as to the sensory experience and all those sort of things. And I remember talking to them about that and thinking and looking at the report they did in the evaluation. I think as a result, 68% of individuals were more active as a result of that investment in social workers. So it's right across the piece of people talking about the benefits of being physically active and enabling that for people with a disability. And the reality is, particularly with COVID at the moment, parent carers who provide a lot of care and support for their child outside of school, for them to make an active choice or to choose a provider, it takes a lot for them to do that, you know, or even going along and being active with their child. So there's an element of where we look, I'm looking at provision going what provision is inclusive and accessible that provides close levels of supervision and support for that child so that parent can get that respite or can Mm -hmm. have a brew. Mm -hmm. That's why I think some of those examples, like other people can advocate for activity, but to be doing it in a different way to create wider access and wider opportunities hearing that voice. But it requires somebody to adapt their business model, Mm -hmm. to do the training for the staff, knowing that it's going to be we talk about hidden cost of disability it's going to be more expensive but if that's our societal value that like everyone's equal then how do we adapt our business model so that the cost doesn't seem to be a negative it's like it's what we do
0: mm.
2: so yeah all of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 to a certain degree yeah
0: any anything you'd want to add in terms of key challenges in terms of the key challenges i
1: guess you know, with that with the sort of locality work in Brinnington and, and those different sort of work streams, it can be down to the decision making. We can't even make all those decisions on like a grander scale. One topic around new signage has been something that we wanted to progress um, I think before COVID. And unfortunately, you know, that hadn't sort of progressed at the time because there's certainly like an expense to kind of Work towards that infrastructure change but people talked a lot about signage they, they talked about it in a way of like adding things to it that weren't kind of just the oh this way to this particular place the signs were inconsistent but also they still there's, I can't tell you how many pockets of green space there are within that community and on I, I randomly remember this but I think there's about 12 different uh, green spaces that had keep off the grass and no ball games and I was like I wonder when they were actually installed because that was probably something that's been there for such a long time that I guess obviously you know in the sense that it wouldn't be reviewed but is that not a complete contradiction of telling people to get outside and be active you know it's one and I know there's sort of the probably residential pressures that are there And people get that sense that, you know, there might be young people hanging around and getting active, which, of course, we want that, but it's not always the same. And that'll be a job in itself, you know, just to make sure that we actually, like, well, we want to change the infrastructure. The community have spoken about it. What can we do? And then you start hitting those, like, barriers that that sometimes you still have to explain to people as well. So we would love to be there all the time. I always say to Stephen, like, presence is key mm-hmm. and actually over time presence is key because a lot of services might go in and do that kind of quick fire work and jump out but so we want that to happen more but it's you know it's, it's one of those things people talk about capacity and it, it's not always there but we certainly try and like balance it as best as possible so there's certainly been more challenges with the community part we've just launched as well I'm sure there'll be some challenges with that um, but we hope the majority of it will be kind of like for positive change so
0: okay so some changes to some of the infrastructure signage it takes time doesn't it to yeah. take so long yeah, yeah and there's well, points true. around yeah just i guess conflicting use of space isn't it or perception of conflicting yeah use and needs for space
2: sometimes another challenge is flexibility in a system to be innovative mm-hmm. so you often get commissioning pots of funding or strategy that's linked to a certain amount of funding to do x but what if something falls outside of that linear structure you get a labour place-based approach you say well look let's from the learnings from what we know what if we just did something different and we know the difference between a small amount of money that can do a small pilot for three months to a project that gets three to five years funding for what that could do and so one thing that I sometimes wish was in the cloud that hasn't yet formed is a bunch of Dragon's Den people that might sit in the system that have got time to listen, to learn, to go, so what's this learning telling us? How do we adapt? How do we create a new product in this space that doesn't have to be linked to the integrated care system agenda or the um, community safety pot or the counsellors fund or whatever it is but just because (laughs) and so you know from that point people can get excited about there's something new and it draws people in and and sometimes what we've tried to find is where who are those system leaders that are working in that innovative sort of test and learn environment outside of GM moving Mm. Um, you know who might be a CEO of X or somebody who's heading up Planning and highways for the northwest, or whatever it is. But I think I think I'm talking about like in our local area as well. You know, um, we're one part, and we're grateful to be connected in that strategy through active community strategies through the health and wellbeing strategy, and all the way through public health and all that sort of stuff. It works well, but sometimes I suppose what we're, we're learning, or I'm looking at, is like how do we share that learning wider?
0: Yeah, just get it out there. So that's a good call to action. So any dragons out there, join in, <laughs> help form the cloud. <laughs> we'll see what comes. <laughs> Ross, final question. So what, yeah. what does the future, what do you hope the future looks like? Anything in particular that you hope will look different or that we'll be able to see in years to come in Stockport?
1: I think... Really got sort of that belief in what what where it kind of started through the forum, and if and if there are new ideas that evolve, absolutely great. We want to hear that, and we're hoping that we have those tools in place to be able to instigate that that conversation. So whether or not it is a community pot, because that is open to anyone. Um, again, we want to complement what you know people are asking for. They may not ask it or articulate it in the way that that kind of is maybe what people are used to or, or what people see but that's that's what we you know we will be working on to try and kind of change that perception that, that's sometimes there so I just hope that that form continues the work streams continue to develop it's it's very interesting piece of work each aspect of it is very interesting but I hope the legacy stays there above all like it has to it has to be sustainable when you say sustainable it probably gets thrown out there as a word very often but I think the context of sustainability is different you know so for the maps it's different we want them to be there we want them to to grow more people to use them and come up with ideas of how to use them we sometimes still need to do a bit of work to continue it but we want that to be sustainable as much as walking becomes of you know people see it as almost like they use it for different purposes whether or not it's travel whether or not it's recreationally whether or not it's fitness Again, there's no pressure in any specific way, but we want that to be a continued presence. And cycling, again, I think most people do know what cycling is. I think it's just there's there's so many kind of topics that that breaks down into, whether or not it's accessibility or storage or security or knowing how to ride a bike. So I just hope that kind of those different sort of like work streams will, will continue to sort of... Evolved because that that's what needs to happen. It's evolved our work and, and what we focus on. The use of the leisure centre is evolving. The work with the Seashell Trust and, and kind of those conversations with families, which I think is is so important for Brinnington, is continuing to, to grow. It's still fairly early stages, I would say, but how we translate that to the public as much as how we trans, translate that to the professional private, public sector, yeah. we just want them to, to keep continuing to see that journey.
0: That's great. So there's people walking, there's people cycling, there's ideas <laughs> forming and there's continued evolution of, of partnerships and relationships and, and things happening and shifting and changing. Sounds good. Anything for you, Stephen, that you'll be uh, yeah, you'll be looking for?
2: Yeah, I really want to see, you know, some commonalities shared across boroughs, across sectors of, well, this is our inclusive approach to sport and physical activity for people with disability. Mm. I think it starts with organisations having an equality policy or an inclusion plan and publish that so people know that this is an in- inclusive or uh, a provider that has equality values within it. I think we have to make a public commitment. I think within that, organisations need the process which they have an equality or, or an EDI plan and how they plan to enact that based on what communities are saying. I suppose the one simple thing is for leisure providers or providers of sport physical activity, the, the one thing that they need to do, we talk about inclusivity as full integration, everyone in there together, but For disabled people to be in an inclusive environment, sometimes they need a separate offer or a modified offer or a parallel offer to that disability sport. Because the separate offer could be just to those children, young people with those complex needs to grow their confidence, their association with a place, their needs are met, before they go into that inclusive environment or that parallel sport environment where there's the main sport, but that's the parallel element to those people which is adapted for their um, their needs or their, or their mobility needs. So even the smallest thing for providers to say, well, I do need to come out and say this is my separate send offer for that community to start that process of connection, conversation, which requires, like I said, a different model. When you look at a local area, somebody said to me this the other day, for my, me for my family, this is somebody who's got five children with additional needs. They said, I never realised how much my van was the vehicle to me to access activity. Because when it wasn't there, it was off the road, I realised there's nothing I can walk to that is suitable for my children. And that could be the reality for a lot of people, that, you know, they might go to that um, inclusive club in Oldham that does jujitsu, or they might go to that place in another borough because that's known in that community to be inclusive with children with different needs. So there's an element of saying... Each local authority has to publish a local send offer. It's you know it's a statutory requirement, but who's looking at that from um, sport, leisure, recreation sort of directory It's a really hard and cumbersome thing to do. But then you know we we wrote the other day, or a parent did. They wrote to TripAdvisor UK and they said, what would be amazing? A small adaptation would be a section for disabled people and parents to say here's my um, review on how accessible this provision was because it would save us a lot of time. We could just look at that review. It costs you probably not, hardly much to do to adapt that on your system, but would you do that? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, because it's a big machine, we haven't had a response yet. But, yeah, a broader, wider offer of opportunity, but to look at those access requirements would be really great.
0: Fantastic. Well, I hope TripAdvisor advisor
2: listening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, connect the nation yeah. in one conversation.
0: Yeah, so we are on a mission to change the world one step at a time, starting <laughs> sure. with <Brillington>. Um <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And we have a map and we can navigate our way there. The path will continue oh, to yeah. evolve. Thank you both. It's been a joy and look forward to hearing what next in Stockport. Thank
1: you.
0: Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this GM Moving podcast episode. We've heard how moving matters to everybody and how we can all play a role to design moving back into everyday life. Now, we'd love to hear how you keep moving and the ways you are supporting others to live an active life. You can contact us on our socials are on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Greater Sport and don't forget the hashtag Dear Moving in Action. Please do share this episode with people and organisations who will find it useful. And join the movement for movement. A big thank you to everyone who's investing in this work and playing their part to test, to learn and to make this happen. This series is a Mike Media production.